1: Ben, I'm Amy Bird. I'm here with my co-host, Todd Pruitt, pastor at Covenant Presbyterian Church, and Carl Truman, professor at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania. And we are having a lively day today, um, recording a batch of podcasts for y'all. And I mean, Todd was just basically spit on from the last, I was. The last comment that I, he made, which was you deserved mm-hmm.
2: it. I, I, per, perhaps, perhaps. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I mean, I saw... For the first time in my life, what was an actual sincere, spontaneous <laughs> spit shot? Somebody who had just taken a drink of water, and something I said startled them so much they literally spewed it out all over my 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 shoes. And it was pants. like one
1: of my greater moments in life. Yeah, you know? I'm not
2: going to say who it was. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not going to say who it was, but it was um it it, it was, was
1: fantastic. It was
2: the only real genuine spontaneous spit shot I've ever seen. So mm-hmm. I, I just want to I, I feel like I've accomplished something. Yeah.
1: If, and I'm not gonna
2: say what I said.
1: Because it wasn't offensive it, at all.
2: No, it wasn't. So mm-hmm.
1: Okay. All right. Well I want to introduce I'm excited <laughs> to introduce our guest today, Dr. Mark Ward. He's the academic editor at Lexham Press, which is a division of Faith Life and the makers of Lagos Software that everybody enjoys so much. And he's just written a book called Authorized. The Use and Misuse of the King James Bible. Welcome, Mark. How are you doing?
3: I am doing great. Excited to be on one of the very few podcasts that merit my own subscription.
1: All right. Yes. I'd like to hear that.
4: Are you a donor, Mark? That's a
3: question. Uh, <laughs> actually, the Alliance has called me multiple
4: times. Oh, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure, I'm I'm sure. sure they have. Yeah, <laughs> that's our panhandling division of uh, swinging into action.
1: Well, you know, Mark, before I read your book, I was under the impression that, you know, God Himself. Handed a leather-bound version of the King James Bible um, to our forefathers, and and you know that that is the only inspired uh, and preserved words of God.
2: It was good enough for the Apostle Paul in the English Am I language. I right? Yeah, that's actually all true. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you do you know you do kick off the book saying that fifty-five percent of Americans still read the King James version. Um and you know it's the version the whole English speaking church used to read. And and what I really, really like about your approach, and, and this is just a, a short, succinct, wonderful book, by the way, and I and I really enjoy your writing style too, which Thank was you. which was a bonus. But um what I like about how you started is just um you talk about the value of the King James Version. You hold it up very high and, and, and even what we lose when we have walked away and read other translations, um, so maybe you could start off just talking to us about that. You know, what what do we lose um, as the church stops using the King James version?
3: Yeah, I think I was able to experience maybe the tail end of the time when the King James was pretty well the standard. Mm-hmm. Born in 1980 and growing up in churches that use the King James, I think the main thing for me is. Scripture memory by osmosis. When Mm -hmm. everybody has the same translation, you hear the same wording over and over again. And there were passages, including some that wound up in my book later among my list of false friends. In other words, Mm -hmm. I misunderstood, Mm -hmm. but passages that I memorized without ever sitting down to memorize them because I just heard them preached and mentioned so often. I also think that when there isn't a scrum of translations fighting for market share, Mm -hmm. people can their trust level in the standard rises to what I think is generally healthy. It can rise, however, to a level that's unhealthy. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm dealing with to some degree in this book with folks who trust only this translation. Right. So I wanted to open the book by showing the many things that are valuable when we mm-hmm. have a common standard. It didn't have to be the King James and mm-hmm. God's providence ended up, ended up being the King James. But um uh, then move on in the rest of the book to question the
2: value of continuing to hold this translation as the standard.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Mark, I wonder for for people who have m- maybe not heard about the the, the King James Only uh, movement, for lack of a better word, I'm I'm familiar with it. I've read about it. I remember as a kid, um, the uh, the Southern Baptist Church that I was a member of in Houston when when we moved. From the King James version to the New American Standard version, I remember some people being upset by that. But I wonder if you could just briefly explain the, those who hold to, the, to King James onlyism. Not a, you know, and, and we understand this is not just an appreciation for the King James, but they're King James onlyists. What is their their theological justification for that?
3: The mainstream King James only movement especially when you look at the Bible college professors and the more astute pastors, insist that they are not actually King James only, but they are Textus Receptus only. And as you know, Mm -hmm. that's the Greek New Testament that underlies the King James. But it also underlies the New King James, which came out in the early 80s, and the Modern English version, which is fairly recent. And yet the King James only movement has not been happy with those translations. Mm -hmm. And every time I've tried to press that point, in fact, this book is trying to do that. You know, if if what you're really concerned about is this particular Greek text, then why wouldn't you be happy with contemporary English translations of it? Mm -hmm. So um, I I do not say that any King James only folks are lying or Mm self-consciously deceiving others. I do think that they are confused, to use uh, King James terminology, overtaken in a fault. And I'm trying to divorce the two issues of text and translation to bring some clarity to a debate which is almost always totally confusing those two things when it comes right down to it the king james only movement is king james only by hook or by crook they insist this is the only valid english translation and they've started to say things like the 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 king james version is the preserved word of god for the english-speaking people right Mm -hmm. they're they're edging into what I would call bibliological heresy, mm. actually claiming for a translation, a level of authority and perfection yeah. reserved only for the inspired original Greek, Hebrew, and tiny bits of Aramaic. Mm-hmm,
4: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If, if we pick you up on the, the textus receptus there, Mark, before we sort of move into that sort of the idolatry of the King James, which you're sort of pointing to, You know, how would you respond to somebody who said, well, you, you, you know, your, your Nestle Allen text... Uh, Greek text of the New Testament is really a scholarly construct. It's it's a hodgepodge put together by a bunch of scholars. At least the Textus Receptus has a kind of ecclesiastical integrity. It's a church text. How would you respond to that sort of uh, question, statement, objection? I respond
3: in the book by saying my argument is for vernacular translation and whatever Greek New Testament text you prefer for whatever reason, you know, I've got my own private opinions on that, I've published them on my blog, doesn't really matter, but for the sake of the book, I don't care. Okay. You use that text, that's fine, just give me a vernacular translation of it. I've worked on a project, an outside project, called KJVParallelBible.org, which sets up the, the King James in one column on the left, as it is translated from the Texas Receptus, this would just be the New Testament, and then on in a right column has the King James as it would be if it were based on the critical text, and then I highlight the differences. And what really struck me as I've done this work with some volunteers is the sheer huge number of verses that are precisely the same and how often those differences are absolutely minor. So I just, I know some people are very serious um, and some responsible people like Maurice Robinson raise questions that I find it difficult to answer, even though, yes, I take the critical text kind of standard mainstream evangelical view. Um, So if they're If their consciences are led by the Lord and their study of Scripture and the facts to, you know, prefer a different text, I say fine. Just give people a a translation of that text that they can understand.
1: I really, you—you mentioned earlier, um, you just kind of threw out that term "false friends." I really appreciated that chapter um, on false friends. So I, I would like you to kind of explain what that term means, what, what false friends are, and, and what the problem with that is in the King James version. Yeah,
3: I, I think this is the key advance in my book, although actually I've discovered even since I wrote the book, multiple readers sending me examples mm-hmm. of thinkers and writers going back 200 plus years who've noticed the same phenomenon that maybe didn't give it the same terminology. Right. But everybody knows about the dead words in the King James. You know, mm-hmm. We just don't say besom. We don't say chambering. We don't say wantonness except on very rare occasions and there are words (laughs) that are dying and dead words in hospice that are in the King James. (laughs) Anybody who complains about the readability of the King James version um, the King James only folks and others who aren't necessarily King James only but just really strongly prefer it they look down as I once did on such people and say you're just being lazy you're not willing to pull the dictionary off the shelf. And um, my response to that is, okay, number one, why would you make a translation that requires people to use a dictionary for common words? Beesem just means broom, can't we just say broom? Mm-hmm. But number two, I bring up this concept of false friends, which I began to notice as, as a Bible textbook author myself and writing, using the King James, because that was what was least offensive to our market. I ran across First Kings eighteen twenty one, which is one of those passages I had memorized You know, by osmosis growing up, Mm -hmm. uh, Elijah says on Mount Carmel, how long halt ye between two opinions? And I wonder, those of you who have read my book, if you can go back to a time when you didn't, Mm -hmm. what would you think that means? How long halt ye? What does halt mean? To stop, to pause. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I have checked with dozens of educated people who grew up reading the King James and like me, prided themselves in their skill in doing so. Mm-hmm. And I have found three people who knew what that word really meant in the mouths of the King James translators. Yeah. If you go to the New Testament, Jesus frequently is healing the halt and the blind. The halt are the lame or the limping. Hmm. And in, I, I noticed this when I was reading the ESV in the first in First Kings. It said, "How long will you go limping between two opinions?" And I thought, "Wait a minute, that's not what it says." <laughs> You know, that's very different, stopping and limping. So I Mm -hmm. went to the Hebrew. Sure enough, it's very clear. It says limp. And then I realized, duh, that's exactly what the King James translators meant. It's Mm -hmm. just that alt no longer means that. We don't have that sense anymore, but we still have the word. I I view Elizabethan English and contemporary English as overlapping but distinct languages. They can Mm -hmm. usefully be described as different languages. And therefore, here's a false friend, a word that we think we know because we still use it. Traffic ground to a halt, or even we think we're smart because we've seen the plays. Someone says, halt. Who goes there? Well, we know this Elizabethan English. Well, we don't. And this happened. I noticed after I noticed that when I started noticing repeatedly
1: A lot um, you that a lot. without
3: the Oxford English Dictionary, you can't. You, you don't know what you're missing.
1: Yeah. I mean, the examples that you give, they're just so many. And it really, truly, they're words that we think we know that change the meaning of the text to read it in the way that that word is defined now, as opposed to how a, it was defined then.
3: Right, right. It, it's not as if massive doctrinally significant passages are, you know, being turned on their heads, mm-hmm. but it, it's like you're just tossing nonsense syllables yeah. right. into the text. And so I argued based on First Corinthians 14, that edification requires intelligibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it just seems so obvious to me now yeah. that I've Marinated in that passage, would Paul be happy with the situation in which we are slowly creating a new Vulgate right. that the common people can't understand?
2: Hmm. Yeah, and and so you you know that that really gets to the heart of the question of of the importance of a of a translation in the common tongue or a vernacular uh, translation. Uh, mm-hmm. If we if we value the Bible as the Word of God, um, then even those texts that that may not bear upon our, our our salvation or our or at the heart of the theology of understanding christ it's still the word of god and so therefore right. still important uh that we understand it in, in its intended sense
1: yeah and you, you take your argument about um translating in in the vernacular straight to the great commission saying that you mm-hmm. know the great commission clearly demands a vernacular bible translation and worship you want to expand on that a little bit
3: yeah, I, I might back off of clearly demands okay. and say that historically speaking, Christian people from the very earliest days of the church have seen a clear connection mm-hmm. between what Jesus says, you know, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. Okay, yes, it's possible a, a language group doesn't have a Bible that could still be done orally, but we recognize people need to have the Bible in their hands. And we had a reformation, not because the Roman Catholic Church utterly refused in all cases to give people the Bible. That wasn't the case. There were scattered, you know, stirrings of Catholic Bible translations in European languages before uh, the Reformation. But there was this big explosion in the Reformation of vernacular Bibles because the reformers saw this connection. If people are really going to be taught to observe everything, they need to have God's words in their hands. And this has been the, you know, the supreme value. If I could say the supreme sacrament of my own Baptist upbringing has been personal Bible reading. And so it's, in fact, it was the King James only folks in my high school whom I still love and who are gracious, godly people who I think are overtaken in a fault, who taught me that I need to read the Bible for myself, that no matter what someone else says, you go back to the Bible. And I am only trying to help help them in that mission that they helped hand me. Mm
4: what would you say uh, relative to the debate about you know dynamic equivalence versus more literal translations where would you come down on that particular issue
2: and and give and give somebody in a, you know examples of each so in sure. case they're not familiar with that terminology
3: yeah uh, the final chapter of my book is titled uh, which bible translation is best and the answer is all the good ones <laughs> um, I got a comparative study Bible when I was uh, 18 years old. I bought it for 50 bucks, which in 2018 dollars is like 75. So I like really <laughs> broke the bank for this. And it is the single most valuable thing I've ever purchased aside from an engagement ring um, because I, I was insulated. I was inoculated against any kind of one version only ism, whether it's NIV 1984 only ism or King James only ism, um, because what happened to me repeatedly, and I still have this Bible with all my notes in it, scribbled tons of notes in that thing. Repeatedly, I found checking multiple translations helped me understand. Here's an example I grew up reading the King James and reading only the King James. I was in King James only circles, although my parents actually were not King James only. Um, we just didn't really question though, that, okay, this is what we're gonna use. And uh, I knew Psalm 16.6 in the King James, which is a really beautiful passage. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places, yea, I have a goodly heritage. And there, there's actually a false friend in there and there is an element of dynamic versus uh, formal equivalency. Um, the lines I always thought of real fuzzily, I just never asked myself, what are these lines? I just kind of thought, okay, there's these lines, they're falling from heaven and they're kind of hitting me in there's places where on my back where I have itches. Yeah, that's pleasant. That's a pleasant place. And then the goodly heritage, that's the false friend that messed me up because a heritage is an intangible inheritance today. You know, you, you don't have a heritage of property. You have a heritage of character. Yeah. But back in the King James era, Elizabethan English, heritage was their word for inheritance. Mm. So I was actually reading my Bible software for my devotions, and I ran across the NIV. It said, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And those two shifts, adding, yes, the word boundary, which is not you know technically in the Hebrew, and then changing... Uh, quote-unquote, heritage to inheritance made me realize, duh, he's talking about the lot of physical land that somebody inherits in the you know in the ancient Israelite society. Now, he happens to be using that as a big metaphor mm-hmm. for God himself, but I didn't get the metaphor because I didn't know what the lines were. Right. The NIV, yes, in one sense, added to scripture, if you really wanted to put it that way. But they put in a word there that, Made it essential for me personally to understand a verse that I'd read many, many, many times. So um, I just can't find myself getting upset about dynamic equivalence translations that, yes, in one sense are interpreting or occasionally, you know, expanding, embellishing when they help me understand. So here's what I say I tend to want people to start with the more formal translations, especially if they're high school educated, middle class type people then, yeah, the ESV, the NASB, the New King James, uh, start there. Um, But by all means, add in these other translations. We have an embarrassment of
2: riches, and they're Mm -hmm. only going to help you understand. And why should that be offensive or difficult? Mm -hmm. Hmm, That's good. So the NIV is not a satanic Catholic plot to overthrow (laughs) the church.
3: Yeah, you know... um, (laughs) Mortification of spin is supposed to be full of humor, and I get that. I, just, I wish I could crack a joke on that. I'm thinking of people. I'm just absolutely serious that I love with yep. all my heart, yep. who gave to me, who believe that. Right, right. They believe conspiracy theories, and it's like the people on Facebook who are sharing memes of the supposed sign that uh, out front of a mosque that said, "We will kill all of you in the name of Allah, die America." Right. You no, know, it's just. It's false. It's right. uh, it's on Snopes.com. Right,
2: and
3: there's a degree to which I've been thinking it's degrading to Christian people to accept the mm-hmm. falsehoods and the conspiracy theories that surround yeah. this issue. Indeed, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to help rescue them as gently as possible. You really I,
1: are gentle in the book. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I really appreciate that, and and I want to ask you, you know, because of that, um, is the King James version still useful?
3: I think it is, but I, as I told. My other podcast, my other favorite podcast that I got to go on, Tom Mexican <laughs> Valley. He said, "You know, so what do you want to do with the King James?" I said, "You relativize it to the standard given by the Bible, which is edification requires intelligibility, and so there are plenty of people who can and should use the King James." I would say generally well-educated people who have read my book and have some (laughs) facility with the Oxford English Dictionary and access to it. It's not cheap. I got it from my local library system online. Um, If you have the basic skills there, by all means, check the King James. I check multiple English translations in my Bible study. I'm not telling anybody to throw it in the trash, but I am saying, given the standard issued to us in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 14, and the mere fact that the Bible, the New Testament was written in Koine, that is common vernacular Greek.
1: Right, yeah. Um,
3: we should not be using the King James as our standard primary pulpit Bible or for Scripture memory for children or for evangelism. It should be a study tool.
1: Let's go there for a minute, too, about the New Testament be, being written in in common Greek. I mean, that right there you make as a, a very big argument for us, then, too, to want to be able to, to read Scripture in the, in the vernacular language that we know today.
3: Yeah, um, you know, you've heard the stories, the papyri discovered in the late 19th and early 20th centuries uh, revealed that the Greek of the New Testament was not this special Holy Spirit Greek, although any, any text like this is going to develop its own technical terms like church. By and large, these words are just what the regular people were speaking and writing. Um, and so the idea uh, given by otherwise respectable people that I think are awesome, like Joel Beakey and Mike Barrett up at Puritan Reform Theological Seminary, um, who've g- given us the King James Reformation Study Bible, which has got fantastic notes, mm-hmm. their defense of the King James, I totally get it. But they, they say, you know, this uses a respectable language that instantly calls forth a reverence. And yes, it does. But I have to ask, is that what the Koine Greek of the New Testament did. Hmm. And I have a quote in my book from C.S. Lewis, who actually read Greek, you know, the way we read English. Um, and he said, no, the Koine Greek of that period had lost its subtlety because it was used by everybody, not just scholars. Hmm. And that's the tool God used yeah. he used to give his word to the world.
4: Maybe this is, a, I suppose, in legal terms, a call for speculation. To what extent do you think the King James-only movement is is essentially inspired by a kind of nostalgia, a feeling that the church is in decline in the West, uh, a longing for the good old days, and uh, an idealizing of a translation that, you know, if you know who it was who was doing the translation, they were very, very competent linguists, but a number of them were not great examples of godliness. Mm -hmm. Uh, To what extent do you think uh, it's, it's witness to the perennial human longing for a lost golden age, a kind of nostalgia? I
3: think that any group, sociologically speaking, is liable to pick symbols that represent their values. And indeed, yes, I think the King James Only movement, which is full of many godly people who love the Lord and read their King James Bibles faithfully and evangelize and do many other wonderful things like teach me in high school. (laughs) Yes, they have chosen a nostalgic symbol to represent their movement. So, Maybe this happens to you in Presbyterian circles. I don't know. But at a Baptist church, we get calls and emails on a fairly regular basis from people going on vacation in our area saying, What Bible translation do you use? As if that's the only question they wow. need to ask Interesting. For.
1: Huh. No, that to doesn't know really know
3: happen. What camp you. do we fit in? Huh. Yeah. Well, it happens to Baptists.
0: Mm-hmm. So <laughs> well, I grew I up in that. Yeah.
4: <laughs> our equivalent might be,
2: Which hymn book do you use? Oh, it or could which be. Which liturgy <laughs> do you <laughs> yeah. use? There? Yeah.
4: That's right. probably the, the Presbyterian yeah. equivalent. Yeah.
2: That's really interesting. Mark, I, I, as, just as we've been going through this um, discussion, I've, I've been thinking about some of the issues you, you've raised in terms of, once again, the importance of intelligibility and to be sure that um, we make use of a translation that is readable, that is readily accessible to the average reader. Because, and again, if we, if we understand and, and believe as we do um, the inspiration the divine origins of scripture, then we certainly should uphold its use in, in terms of it being readily available for, for the common reader. And one of the beauties of the Protestant Reformation was a commitment uh, to have uh, the Bible available in those terms. And again, if you have a great handle on Elizabethan English and are able to, uh, uh, to translate well, uh, those areas where uh, where the language has changed significantly, then you know we love the king james bible it, it has served the church well over the years but um, we're also very very grateful for um, the more vernacular uh, translations and it would be a pity for people not uh, to make use of that as a good gift so we appreciate uh, the book and we appreciate the time that you spent in uh, giving us this if, if you want to read more about this issue and we would encourage you to um, to do that then get a copy of Mark Ward's book, Authorized, The Use and Misuse of the King James Bible. And if you'd like a free copy, we can probably hook you up if you were one of our fortunate people to log in on our website and to register for a copy of Dr. Ward's book. So come to our website, mortificationofspin.org. You'll see a place where you can register to, to win a copy of this book, and um, we think you'll be helped by it, encouraged by it. As Amy said earlier, it is not a scary, daunting, big, thick scholarly book, but it is written for laypersons mm-hmm. to help them understand and appreciate.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely going to be recommending this one yeah, to a lot, yeah. a lot of my KJV-only friends. There you go.
2: Exactly. And, and even if you're not a King james onlyist, it will give right. you a, a really good, helpful understanding. And I, and I think in many ways an edifying understanding. Mm-hmm of the importance of the Scripture in our language and the usefulness of it and Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, undergird, I think, once again, the responsibility we have to read and to to understand and to um, enjoy uh, the Bible that the Lord's given us. So, Mark, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, being one of our few confirmed fans and not being afraid to admit it. (laughs) That we appreciate. publicly exactly exactly right. for risking your reputation for coming on with us we we appreciate that and uh, on behalf to... of both of your subscribers you would... <laughs>
1: <laughs> we found well, one of them yeah
2: exactly exactly well uh, to our listeners uh, l- uh, i i do want to encourage you to go to our website uh register for a cop t- to win a copy of, of dr ward's book and also be reminded that we are a listener supported podcast and if you would feel so moved to uh, to make a financial contribution so that Mortification of Spin can continue to uh, uh, to do this work, uh, we'd love for you to consider contributing. Until next time, this is Todd Pruitt, as always joined by Amy Bird and Carl Truman, and we hope that you'll tune in next time.
0: There's a little black spot on the today it's the same old thing. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about...
4: I'm all in favor of Christians gathering together regularly and uh, singing, hearing the word proclaimed... Uh, I just don't want to proclaim it myself on Christmas Eve when I'm kicking (laughs) back and getting ready for the festivities.
0: We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin.
2: Women, 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 women,
4: empowerment, (laughs) women, women, (laughs) women.
2: (laughs) <laughs> oh, we're glad you're tough.
0: Because
2: <laughs> I would feel like a real jerk every once in a while.
1: But you
4: don't.
0: But I do That's Thanks. the beauty of it. We'll be hard <laughs> for